0: Take your Bibles, as I said, and find Exodus 33, and I'll read the text in just a moment. A few years ago, I read a biography about a man named Duncan Campbell. Duncan Campbell was a great evangelist. He was mightily used of God to help facilitate revival in Wales, and then, in particular, the New Hebrides Islands. And he was called to ministry really as a young man. In his young years of ministry, God gloriously used him for revival. In fact, Duncan Campbell didn't have a vehicle or anything, and it was not uncommon for him to walk for miles if he was going to preach at a church literally 10 or 15 miles and walk there and preach and then walk back home. Uh, He often later would ride his bicycle to uh, places where he would preach, and God would move so powerfully, and there's some great stories, and so again, you ought to read a biography on Duncan Campbell. He was part of what we would call one of the greatest awakenings, at least in uh, uh, history there in in Europe, and uh, that overflowed into uh, America. But uh, uh, years later, uh, he was on a what you might call a preaching tour in the U.S., and while he was on this tour, he shared the remarkable story of how he came to Christ and how he was called into ministry. And he talked about in that uh, that particular story, or his testimony of sorts, how he reached a point in time after God had used him mightily where he said, it seemed like the glory of God had departed from my life. And he said, the strong power and presence of God is seemed And and, and he entered seminary, and he said, when he entered seminary, he began to doubt the veracity of the Bible. And he said, I remember at that moment when I began to question the veracity of the Bible, and he said, something inside of me felt like it died. He said, I didn't sense that I'd lost my salvation. It wasn't like that, but he said, it was, a, it was like a huge dry season swept over me, and there was just dryness in my soul. And he continued, though, in ministry for the next 17 years preaching. And because he had been so mightily used of God in his early years for revival, he was still in much demand to come and speak at conferences that were hosted about revival and those sorts of things. And so he would go and he would speak there about revival. And then uh, he would they'd ask him to speak about the moving of the Holy Spirit. And he said this. What had happened to him is he had become nothing more than a spiritual technician just kind of gone through the motions. You may be here today, or you may be watching us online, and you say, you know, it's kind of the way I feel. I don't feel the presence or the power of God, and I'm just kind of like a spiritual functionary. And he would he would speak in these groups and everything, and what he had to say, he could always pinpoint back to what he had experienced early in his ministry, and he could talk to him about revival, but he said there was nothing inside of him more than just the fact that he was saved and just perfunctory work going through the motions and talking about about the Lord. and and he says, "But all of that changed. One morning he was awakened to his teenage daughter, whom he heard singing uh, praises to Jesus in her bedroom. And so he got up and he he went down to her 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 room where she was singing, and he looked inside and he said, there, her face was aglow with the presence of God. And she had just recently responded to the call to be a missionary. And she begins to tell her daddy about um, how wonderful Jesus is. She begins to testify to him, Daddy, Jesus is so wonderful. And he says again, just the glow of God was upon her. And then she said this to him. She said, Daddy, I've been wanting to uh, talk with you. And she asked him a question, he said, that struck home at the depths of his heart. She asked him this question. She said, Daddy, why is it not with you and God like it used to be. He didn't have an answer for her. And he didn't have long, he said, to think about it because he had to go away, he had to speak somewhere. And so he went off and he, he spoke and then he came back and when he got home, that question had plagued him. He said all day and when he got home, he told his wife that he was going to shut himself in to his study and he was going to meet with God and he was going to stay in there praying through the night and while he did, God met with Duncan Campbell again. And when Duncan Campbell emerged, it was in the power of God's Holy Spirit. And once again, he became a flaming instrument of revival that God used uh, all over the place in, in Wales and uh, um, in the New Hebrides. I want to ask you a question this morning Is it with you and God today like it used to be? Is it with you and God today like it used to be? Now, you may be here today and say, yeah, it's, it's even better, and that's good. But for many, if you're honest, you might say, no, it isn't with me and God. I'm going through the kind of motions. I'm kind of a spiritual technician. I know the things to do and the right things to do. I know the right things to say. But my heart is cold. The power and the presence of God seems absent. And it's like the glory of God has been lifted from my life. I want you to listen very carefully to what I want to share with you today. I shared this message with our staff this past week. And I said to them, after I shared it with them, I said, I really feel like I need to share this with the congregation. But I said, you give me your thoughts. And they said, Pastor You've got to share this with our congregation. And so I want to share with you what God has spoken to me about, but also that I've passed on to our team, and I pass on to you. If you're dry, if you feel like the glory of God has been uh, lifted from you, listen very carefully, because it's not where God wants you to live. Now, in just a moment, we're going to read the text. Now, you know I generally have you stand when I read the text. I don't want you to stand this morning. I'm going to tell you what I told the first hour, and that is I want you to keep your seat, have the passage open. I don't want you standing up because I don't want you to spend your time thinking about when you're going to be sitting back down. So I just want you to stay in your seat. I want you to have the Scripture before you, and I want you to be able to concentrate on that as we read it in just a moment. Our passage is specifically about the tent of meeting is what, what Moses called it. It is the precursor to what would become the tabernacle. It is, which is the precursor to what would become the temple. But the tent of meeting is the first starting place. And by the way, in the Hebrew, it's the same word as the tabernacle, but it wasn't yet the constructed tabernacle that would also move with the people of God. And in this passage, uh, we learn what the purpose of the tent of meeting was. And we learn about the presence of God as it related to the the tent of meeting. And in order to understand what I want to talk to you about, I need to give you a little bit of background. So I want to do that, and then we'll read our our passage together. Chapter 32, chapter 33, chapter 34 of the book of Exodus are, are my three favorite chapters in this entire book chapter 33 in particular, but 32, 33, 34. And if you get time this week, go and read through them again, because there's far more than I can get to in a message. But let me tell you what's going on here. The, the uh, children of Israel, in chapter 32, rebel against God. And Um, They rebel because Moses has not come down from the mountain. He went up on the mountain to meet with God, but he hasn't come back down from the mountain. That's still where he is. And they get restless, and they get impatient with God. And so they say to Aaron, look, we don't know what's become of Moses. He's been up on the mountain. We haven't seen him, however long it's been, and so do something. We need a God to worship, and so make us a golden calf. Make us an idol that we can worship. And, uh, and, 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 and a, God that can go with us that can lead us on because we don't Moses, we don't know if he's going to come back. So what we need a God to lead us on. And so Aaron, by the way, doesn't put up any resistance and that's another whole message, but he doesn't, he says, okay, just give me your gold and jewelry and everything and they'll heat it down and they'll form this golden calf. And, and, uh, then they'll begin to worship and that's exactly what they do. And later on, by the way, when Moses confronted Aaron about it, what have you, al- how, why did you allow these people to go into such gross sin? Uh, Aaron says, well, it just kind of happened. You know, they, they threw their jewelry into the fire and out popped this golden calf And so this is what happens. They begin to work. Moses is on the mountain. While Moses is on the mountain, they're doing this down below, and God suddenly says to Moses, he says, you need to go down because the people have committed great sin. And they have fallen down. They bowed down to an idol, a golden calf. You need to go down. And so Moses says okay, and he goes down. He has the first uh, the law that God had given him, and he takes it down with him. And he, and sure enough, he comes to the camp and he sees the people. And the Bible says they they bow down and then they rose up to play. And by the way, the connotation there, and they rose up, was to commit sin and perversity and all sorts of things. And they called it as an act of worship. And Moses sees it and he confronts them and he 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 makes this statement to the people. He says. Uh, who is on the Lord's side and uh, and by the way it's a question that needs to be asked today who's on the Lord's side really and he asked that question and there were many who recognized their sin and obviously repented but there were some who didn't and three thousand people died that day because they refused to turn back to God and so uh Uh, Moses kind of writes a ship, and then he says, I need to go back up to God, and I need to see what God says about this. He goes back up to the mountain. He spends some time with God, and there's this wonderful occasion when Moses goes to God uh, on on, on this next uh, occasion, and he says, God, he says, "Um, don't kill him," because God had told Moses, I'm going to kill him," And in fact, God had told Moses this. He said, not only am I going to kill them, Moses says, well, how will you fulfill your promise? You know, you said you would with with, uh, Israel, you would make them a great nation. How will you fulfill that? And God said to Moses, I'm going to kill all of them. And I'm going to start all over with you. I'll make my people from you. And Moses intercedes. He says, God, don't do that because our enemy will then be able to look and say, so that's how God treats his people. I mean, that's a loose translation, but that's what Moses said. And it says, so God relented. And God says, I will send an angel to go with you and with them to lead them on to the promise that I gave. But I'm not going with them. He says, because I'm afraid that if I go with them, I will consume them in my anger because they are stiff-necked people. He says, I'm going to let you go. And Moses says, God, I'm not going if you don't go. If you don't lead us up from here, I'm not going. And God says this, I will be with you. He didn't say I would be with them. He says, I will be with you then. And I will go with you, and you can lead the people. And so, uh, so fast forward, Moses comes back down. He's inter, uh, seated for the people. He's, God has said, I will not... Uh, pour out my wrath on them i will go with you moses has had this experience though while he was on the mountain in which he got to encounter the glory of god and moses had this great line he said god let me see you that i might know your ways in the midst of all the chaos you know what moses still cried out i want to know you god I want to know you more than anything else, more than my leadership, more than these people. I want to know you. And God says you can't you can't see me, Moses, because you can't live. No man can see me and live. And God says to him, so Moses, but I tell you what I'll do, because you have found favor in my sight. What I will do is I, there's a place, a ledge, and I will put you on that ledge, and I will pass by you, and I will cover you with my hand, and I will pass by, and you won't be able to see my face, but then I'll remove my hand, and you can see me on the backside, and you'll be able to see my glory. And Moses and God did that. Moses comes down from the mountain, and he doesn't know what the Bible said He didn't know, but his face shined, the glory of God. The Shekinah glory of God was all over his face, and he comes down. And it's so bright, people can't look at him. And so they tell him, you, you know, you're going to have to wear a veil, and he puts a veil over his face so the people will not be blinded by the glory of God. And later on, in chapter 34... It, it is reiterated where God said, or where the scripture says, so every time Moses went in to meet with God in the tent of meeting, you'll see in just a moment, every time he went in to meet with God, when he came, he put the veil, uh, he took the veil up and he went in and he talked to God like a friend talks to a friend. But when he would come out, he would put the veil back down because guess what? He had been in the presence of God. He had been literally in the midst of the glory of God. The Bible says the cloud, the pillar, the cloud would descend. When Moses went in, God would descend. And he would manifest himself. If you feel like the glory of God has been lifted from your life, I want you to listen to this story today. Follow along with me, if you will. That's just background. Follow along with me as we read verses 7 and following. Now, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting, and everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, that is the tent of meeting, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. O Lord... I pray that today we will hear the Word. And Lord, for any that are here listening uh, in this live audience and those who are listening by uh, live stream and by television, Lord, if they have lost a sense of your presence, if the glory has been lifted from them, I pray that today, Father, as they listen to your Word, that you will restore them and they will return to you, Father. And if there's sin, that they will confess and repent of that sin so that the glory and the power and the presence of God may rest on their lives again and Lord I pray that we will hear the word I pray that father today as I share that the words of my mouth will be pleasing to you and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable to you for you are the Lord our God our rock and our redeemer Speak to us now, Father. We listen to you. Bind the enemy. Restrict him. Give him no freedom to confuse, disrupt, distract, or divide our hearts in any way. Tune us in, Father, to your Spirit. Speak now. Father, manifest your presence among us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you a question. Did you know that there is a difference between the presence of God in your life and the manifest glory of God on your life? you know there's a difference? You see, when you became a believer at the point of your conversion, if you are a believer, if you're not, then you need to become a believer today, and you'll have that opportunity at the end of this message. But if you're a believer, at the point of your conversion, when you became a child of God, the Bible says that the Spirit of God entered you. In fact, the, Paul described it in Romans said we are sealed by the Spirit of God. He that has not the Spirit does not belong to him. In fact, Paul says the Spirit is the evidence that we are saved, the Spirit inside of you. And that's why when you do something wrong as a believer, you you should feel a conviction. Guess where that comes from? It comes from the Spirit of God living in you. And so when you became a child of God, if you are a child of God, you will have the living presence of, of God. In, that is the Spirit living in you. That's the presence. It comes to all uh, children of God. It becomes yours, and it's, it's permanent. It's fixed. That doesn't mean it rules. That doesn't mean you let the Spirit rule, and, and I keep saying it, but the Spirit isn't an it. It's a he. It doesn't mean he rules, but it does mean he resides, okay? It's up to you whether he rules your life or not. Does that make sense? So that comes. The Bible says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. So when we come into this place, uh, he's here. That's based on his word. That's based on his promise. Okay, so he's here. And you know what? We can sense that, can't we? Uh, I, 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 one of the things I love about our worship band and even our choir in the, is when, I come, when they begin to sing, I sense the presence of God. And we ought to, right? God inhabits the praise of his people. So there's a sense in which when we come together, we know the presence of of God is in this place. We pray, our staff prays every Sunday morning for the presence of God to prevail. We even pray, God, put your presence on the parking lot. When people get out of their cars, let them know that the presence of God is in this place. Let them sense that. And so that's the sense in which the presence of God resides in his people and resides with his people. Does that make sense? All right? However, there are unusual times when the Spirit of God will manifest himself among his people. And that's, that's beyond just the, his inward presence. That's the, when the Spirit of God, when the glory of God comes down on your life. And it's an unusual kind of thing. And by the way, it's, it's a sovereign thing. Jesus described it in John chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, the, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from, nor do you know where it goes. And then he adds this statement, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. There are times when the Spirit of God will manifest himself in an unusual way and will manifest his glory. Does that make sense? Now, I want to tell you something. There are times in your life where you have felt the unusual presence of the Spirit of God, and there are some times, perhaps, in your life where you've seen Him manifest, and you had no explanation, why did God do that? Why was His presence so overwhelming in my life and everything? It's the manifest, sovereign presence. But we, we can put ourselves where God can do that, and we can put ourselves where we make ourselves incapable of experiencing the manifestation of His presence. Does that make sense? by how we respond to him and and, and what we do. So, his presence resides in us, but his manifest presence is that supernatural expression. I want to tell you something. One of the things I pray for is, God, would you descend on this place? Would you manifest your presence among us? Not just reside with us, Not just be present, but God, would you descend on us like the pillar, like the cloud descended on the the tent and the tabernacle. God, would you descend upon us? It's been said that for most Christians, the Spirit of God could be taken up from their lives and nothing would change about how they live. Did you get that? That for the average Christian, the spirit of God could be removed, and they'd never know the difference, and nothing would change about how they live. Maybe you remember the story. Y'all remember the story of Samson and Delilah? Everybody remember that? Do I need, you know, the story? Samson was so strong, and and um, Delilah, she was working for the enemy, and but she was sleeping with Samson, and she tried to persuade him because he would just, I mean. The Philistines hated him, and they would try to, to capture him and kill him, and they couldn't. He would just, he, this supernatural, the present, the Spirit of God was on him, and he would just, in southern terminology, he'd just beat the snot out of them. I mean, they never won. He just, he whipped them, and it became almost a kind of a joke. And so they paid Delilah so much, you got to find out what is the secret of his strength. And so she would say, what's the secret of your strength? And he would say, well, you got to do this and this and this. And she would do it, and then the Philistines would show up. She would call out, Samson, the Philistines! And he would jump up, and he would, you know, beat them lifeless. And so she'd come back and say, Samson, you lied to me. And he'd just kind of laugh. He thought that was kind of funny. And she'd say, really, tell me what it is. And he'd tell her another thing. And she would tell the Philistines, you've got to do this. If you do this, he won't have any power. And guess what? Samson, the Philistines are here. And he would rise up and punish them again. And it was kind of a joke back and forth. She asked him again. He gave gave her another thing. And then finally, she just really gets inside him and says, Samson, if you love me, if you really love me, you would tell me the real answer you have been messing with me and you've hurt my feelings and and I don't trust you anymore and you okay okay he says uh, um, and he tells her the secret of my strength is in my hair if my hair is cut I'll lose my my strength now I don't understand why God chose to do that but God chose to do that put strength in his hair alright when you get to heaven if you want to have a discussion about that you can uh, but God said this is the way I'm going to do it and so that's the way he did it and so While he was asleep, she cut his hair. You remember? She cut his hair. And then she she does, Samson, the Philistines are here. And he sprung awake, and he sprung up, and the Bible says in Judges chapter 16 and verse 20 that Samson said, well, I'll go out as at other times and I'll shake myself free, whatever they do, however they bind me. But in this occasion, it adds another statement. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. I think there are a lot of believers today, and the glory has been lifted. The power, they're saved, but the power has been lifted. And the presence of God has been the sense of his overwhelming presence has been lifted. I want to ask you this morning has the power of God departed in your life? I ask you, are you content with the fact of his presence instead of the manifest glory that comes with his presence? I want to show you three things from our passage, all right? Just follow along. The first is this, in verse 7, there was a separating of the tent of, uh, of God. Now, you'll understand that as I go on. It says in verse 7 that Moses Moses used to take the tent, because remember, they were nomads, all right? They moved, they were moving along at the direction of God. Moses would pitch the tent outside the camp. In fact, it goes on to say, not just outside the camp, but a long way, a far away outside of the camp. He pitched it way out there. Why did he do that? That's a great question. Because this is chapter 33, following on the heels of chapter 32, I told you the background, why? They had rebelled in chapter 32, right? And so chapter 33, it suddenly talks about the meeting place of God, and it had been set up a long way outside of the regular camp. Some scholars say that happened because of the sin of the people. God wanted uh, the sacred place to be uh, far away from the sin. Of the, in other words, kind of like the gap that's between us and God when we don't know Christ. The chasm I think that probably has something or some part in it. But more so, there are a couple of things that I would say to you, and that is primarily it was pitched way off in the distance in order to remove the distractions of the world. God wanted to, his place, his meeting place, to be separated from the culture that they were operating in. And so he, he, he moved it to keep them from being distracted. You say, what culture were they in? Did you know their camp life was their culture? Think about it. Their camp life was their community. Their camp life was the world they operated in. Even though they were nomads and even though they moved around, their camp life was the place where they took care of their flocks. It's the place where they... You know, they set up their tents, and they had their normal activities. It's the place where the kids played. It's the place where the parents parented. It's the place where whatever task or responsibilities they had, they carried out. It was their culture. The camp was their culture. And so God separated the place of meeting from the culture. Why? Because in the culture, it's too easy to be distracted, isn't it? It's too easy to be distracted by all that's going on in our lives, in in our world. By the way, I believe it's one of the reasons that the house of God exists is to be a place that pulls you away from the distractions of the culture so that you can hear what does God have to say. And so God put the tent out there, the tent of meeting, and you notice that Moses could go, and I'll talk about this in a minute, but people could go out there too. And so God puts the tent out, out there. He puts it outside of the culture. You know what a, one of the tragic things today is? That we want to try to pull the sacred stuff into the culture. So that the sacred looks just like the secular. We want to... The, the, you know, it's amazing how many times, even in church architecture, that it's changed that... It's changed to say, well, we want the architecture to look more like worldly architecture so it won't be so disconcerting to people that don't know God. That's not at all what's going on here. The Bible says that we are to come out and be separate, to come out from among them and be separate. Listen, the tent off in the distance was to say, this is a sacred place, this is a separate place, this is a place to be distinguished from the culture you're living in. It is a place where the manifestation of the glory and the presence and the power of God can be experienced. And we want, oftentimes, we want all of that. Just let that happen within the culture of the world. We're called to live separate lives. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We are to come out from among them, the Scripture says. And one of the things, listen, that causes the manifest presence and the glory of God to be lifted from a person's life is when they or corporately the church wants to look more like citizens of the world than citizens of the kingdom of God. I want to blend in when the Bible says, separate yourself and come out, stand out. In fact, we didn't read it, but there's a place in this whole story, in those three chapters, where Moses is interceding with God for the the children of Israel. And he says this, God God says, I'm not going with you, because if I go with you, I may kill them. And Moses, of course, says, "But, but God, if you don't go with us, what will distinguish us from the rest of the other people of the world? If you don't go with us, we don't have anything distinct that makes us distinctly different. It is your presence that makes us different. Now hear me say something that's so important today in a world that's constantly bombarding the kingdom of God, saying, look like the world, act like the world, let the world uh, uh, drive your agenda. When the scripture says, you're to be separate, you're to look different. I didn't say isolated. They weren't isolated, but you're to look separate. Separation, not isolation. And so the tent was pitched outside uh, of the camp. But I'll tell you something else about the tent. It was pitched outside of the camp, not only because it was to remove the distractions of the world. It It was put there to signify the sacred place of God. You see, it didn't just blend in with the culture, with the camp. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, here's the camp, and, and here's where, uh, here's this little plot that we put our uh, tent on and operate, and right over there is the, the tent of meeting, and right over there is the marketplace. And it, it wasn't just one of the. the uh, Uh, entities of the camp. It was separate. It was out there. Why? So they would know when they looked and they could see it. We know they could see it because it says when Moses went out all the people would come forward to the front of their tent and they would do what? They would put their eyes on the tent of meeting. They could see it off in the distance. They could see the pillar of cloud, the cloud descend upon the the entrance of uh, the tent of meeting. They knew that's sacred over there. This is our culture. This is what we we live in, which, by the way, should be affected by our relationship with the sacred, but the sacred was distinguished from the culture. Am I making sense? And so, and by the way, it's interesting to note that the Bible doesn't say that, that the pillar descended on the camp. It says it descended on the sacred place. You know, sometimes what we want in our culture, well, we're praying for a move of God. Yes, we want a move of God. But we often say it like we just think, suddenly God's going to descend on the culture out there, a culture that defies Him, that hates Him. I'm going to tell you something, it's not going to happen. Where is God going to descend if he descends? He's going to descend on the tent of meeting. He's going to descend on his people that should get it, that should understand. Am I making sense? But we say, God, move out there, move out there. Listen, God, if God is going to move, it's going to happen here. I I will tell you this: this may not, I have some good news and bad news for you. It's just my, my belief, but I think it's my studied belief. I think there's going to be a a great move of God and anytime I say that people go me too me too me too but now let me tell you what I think about that I think there's going I I, I still think we're gonna have another move of God but I think it's going to come after something incredibly tragic I think it's going to come right now I think it's there's something there's something coming people And I think there'll be a move of God, but I think it'll be because it, for at least God's people, the culture will be so broken, they have no, nothing left to do but turn to God. I have a promise. God gave me a promise some years ago about this place. It's posted when you come in this building. It says, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former glory of this house, and I will bring peace. I still hold. I believe that it was very specific when God gave it to me, but I want to tell you something. I believe that something worse than anything we've ever experienced is coming, and let me tell you why. Because we haven't responded to the other things that are. Did y'all read my column today? If you didn't read my column today. And because we have not responded, we are are a lot like, our culture is a lot like, our Christian culture is a lot like the culture of Israel. And God sent warning after warning after warning after warning, and they they did not make a connection between their sin and idolatry. And don't think for an instant we haven't thrown our jewels into the fire and created idols. In fact, the truth is we may have more idols now than Israel had then. By the way, interesting, if the last verse of chapter 33, I mean 32, says, and God went with them, but he sent a plague upon them. I'm just saying, do what you want with it. Are y'all following me? And so the house was set out there to signify that it's a sacred place of God. This is the place of God. If you want to connect with God, this is the place where you connect with God. And people would see the pillar, and they knew that God was there. The tent was easily distinguished, and they knew what was going on in that tent. It says when when Moses went and the pillar, the cloud came down, that people stood at the entry to their tents, and they worshiped God. They knew what to do. Today, often the church and believers in the church are more interested in blending in with the culture than standing out for God. And because of that, listen, we miss out on the glory and the manifestation of the presence and the power of God in our lives. Let me go to a second thing. Uh, The second thing I want you to notice is seeking the way of God. The tent wasn't, did you notice the tent wasn't limited to Moses? It says that when Moses went in, the the glory of God descended on the tent. But it wasn't limited to Moses. Now, it says anybody that was seeking God or needed to seek God, anybody, if they went to the tent, they could seek God. It wasn't just limited to Moses or Joshua or the Levites. But anybody who needed instruction could come there. It was a place to receive God's instruction. It was a place where they could receive God's instruction, and they knew that. They understood that. Now, if they went out there to it, there was no evidence that God would descend upon it because he had sovereignly decided that Moses was going to be the mediator between him and the people, just like Jesus became the once and for all mediator between us and God. And That's why Moses interceded, and there's a lot of... Uh, pictures of and symbolism representing what Christ would later do for us, but they could go to the tent. It was a place uh, to receive God's instruction. But I want to ask you this morning, is it possible that you're dry? Is it possible that you don't sense the power of God's presence? Is it possible that the glory of God has departed from your life? Is it possible because you stopped really seeking Him? and instead of and instead of seeking God's way you've simply spiritualized your own way you know we're real good at that you know what that means it means we have an agenda And it may not be a bad agenda at all, but we take our agenda and we lay it before God and instead of saying, God, is this my agenda or your agenda? Is this what you want or is this what I want? We just say, God, here it is. I I really." And then we'll tell other people, yeah, God really moved me to do this. And what we really often do instead of going before God and say, God, I just lay everything right here like a living sacrifice, Paul said in Romans, I just lay it right here, God. And you just tell me, and if this is not of you, if this is of me, God, I don't want any part of it, but God, what do you want? And instead of doing that, we often just lay our stuff there and say, God, make this, bless this, favor it. And if we're not careful, that's what we do. We just say, God, take my agenda and spiritualize it. I want to ask you something. Have you learned to sit before God? Have you learned to sit before God? I have off of my front office, I have a study and then I have a front office where I meet with people, meetings and task force and I pray and I counsel in that office. And then off of that, I have a closet. It's a little workspace that they put in for me some years ago. And in there, I have a prayer altar. And I go, literally, it's my closet, and I shut the door, and I'll go in there. And sometimes I use it as a kneeler, and it's nice on my knees, and I'll use that. But you know what I do more often than not? I don't use it. You know what I do, actually? I did it several times this past week. I go in there, shut the door, lock myself in, and I sit on the floor. I just sit on the floor. And, and instead of reeling out my... And I have my Bible usually in my lap and I pray scripture to God. and But before I do any of that, before, I have my notebook, my prayer notebook. And before I do any of that, you know what I do? I just sit in silence before the Lord. Because I found out a long time ago. I found out a long time ago that if I'm not careful, I'll just start rattling things off to God. Try to check all the you know, the boxes, and, okay, did all that, I'm done, and, and, and I learned that I've got to sit before the Lord and say to the Lord, God, I, ju- I want to hear from you. You just speak to me, God. I, I lay all of this, all of my plans, I just lay it before you. What do you think? It was a place to receive the instruction of God. I want to do something. I'm not finished, okay? I know. I, I, I know. I hadn't preached in five weeks, okay? but I want to ask you something. Do you need to hear from God? I want to ask you, in fact, I'm not finished, but would you bow your head and close your eyes for just a minute all over this room? Nobody looking. Don't look at the preacher. Just bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody's looking around. How many of you in this place today would raise your hand and say, Pastor, There's a matter in my life that I need to hear from God on. Would you raise your hand? Just hold it up for just a moment. I, my hand is up because there's a, there's a couple of matters that I need a word from God on. All over this, just keep it up for just a moment. Okay? Lord sees, He sees your hand. I, I need to, My hand is up. You can't see it, but my hand I'm, I'm holding it up right now. God, I need, a, I need a word from you. I need to hear from you. Now, Lord Jesus, you see the hands that are raised in this place saying, I need a word from you. And frankly, God, if you don't give it to us, we're sunk. Or we will make a mess of our life or whatever that matter is. And so, God, you've said if we need wisdom, that you would give it to us generously. Father, some people have hands raised and they need to hear from you because they don't know what to do. So speak to them. God, would you help all of us with our hands raised? Would you help all of us remove the agenda, our agenda, and say, God, your agenda. So speak to them, I pray, Lord. Let them hear from you that they might know. They might know what you think about the matter. In Jesus' name, amen. It not only was a place where you would receive the instruction of God, it was a place to experience God's presence. As I said, when Moses went in the tent, he experienced God's presence. The pillar descended. It was not just his manifest presence, it was his manifest glory. Let me just say this to you. When God manifests his presence, he manifests his glory. And where his manifest presence is, his manifest glory will be, and guess what, the manifestation of his power will be. Listen to a couple of examples. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 4 says, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. The pillar came down. In Revelation, toward the end of your Bible, chapter 15, verse 8 says this, And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and His power. Where the cloud descends, the glory of God is displayed and the power and presence of God is manifest. You remember Moses? Remember he had... And when the power and the glory of God is manifest in our lives, guess what? It changes things. It changes the way you think. It changes your action and behavior. It causes you to grieve over your sin. But did you know it'll even change your countenance? When Moses, in in chapter 34, verse 34, reiterates what I said earlier, that when Moses, every time he went in, he took the veil up. But when he came out, he put the veil down. Why? Because the glory of God was manifest on his face. And others would be blinded by the glory of God. In other words, they could see it. They knew Moses has been with God. When the glory of God, the manifestation of His glory and His power in your life, guess what? It changes everything. I remember a girl named Karen I led to Christ many years ago. You know, I'm the instrument. Jesus leads them to Christ. And she had been talking with me for several weeks about what it means to know Christ, and she was hostile to God. And, and she would come and see me, and I would talk to her about the gospel, and she would get irritated. I mean, she'd get so irritated, she would jump up and run out of my office and slam the door. And she kept, But she'd come back and... Week later, she'd come back. She, we'd have this same conversation. She'd get mad, run out, and she came back when they, and and I said, "I don't have anything more to say to you. I've told you exactly. You know what to do. You just got to decide to do it." And she said, "Well, I would do it, but there are things in my life I don't want to give up." And I'm going to tell you, they were some things because she told me what they were, and she said, "I don't want to give these things up." And I don't know, in a moment, the Spirit of God moved on me, and I said this to her. I said, what if I told you I'm not asking you to give any of that up? Now, y'all hang on. She didn't go. I mean, she went like this. She went, I don't have to give those things up? I said, I'm not asking you to give any of those things up. What I am asking you to do is give yourself to Christ. Now, I'm banking on something. Hello? That if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away and all things have become new. And she just, but she didn't believe it. She got up she left. She came back another week. She said, were you serious about that? I said, yes. I'm asking you to give yourself to something instead of let's concentrate on stopping or quitting something. She still didn't trust Christ. But I guess it was a couple of weeks later, she came up to me and she said, <clears throat> Um, and her teeth were clenched and she said, I'm ready. I said, ready for what? And she said, I'm read, ready, to, you know, I said, no, I, I wanted her to say it. I couldn't make her say it. I said, no, I don't know. Tell me what you're ready to do. And she said, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, to, <laughs> you know, receive Christ. I said, oh, okay. She said, but I don't have to give those things up, right? I said, I'll say to you again, I'm not asking you to give something up. I'm asking you to give something, to give your uh, your life to Christ. She said, okay. I said, but I want to lead you in a prayer, and I want you to say it out loud. And I said, repeat after me, if you will. Lord Jesus, silence. I said, say it. Silence. I said, Karen, say it. Say, Lord Jesus. And finally I heard this. Her teeth were clenched. And she said, Lord Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. And I looked up. That's all she said. She didn't even finish the prayer when I looked at her, I want to tell you something. The light of God was on her face. She had had a real hard countenance. The light of God was on her face. And in that moment, God said to my heart, remember what I said, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You could see it. And I thought, well, you know, I'm just saying it because I've been dealing with it right for a while. And, I was, and so she goes, we're in the, at this meeting and she begins to, she goes back into this meeting area and she's walking around and people begin to come up to me and say, Karen got saved, didn't she? I said, well, in fact, she did. How did you know? And they said, I mean, multiple people, multiple people. She didn't go in and say, hey, I got saved. But people were coming saying, she got saved, didn't she? I said, how do you know? They said, we can see it on her face. I'm telling you, the glory of God descended on her face. And by the way, she's still following Jesus today. She's an attorney. She served, by the way, in Washington with one of our congressmen for a number of years. She's an attorney. We still hear from her, Allison, I do. Uh, From time to time, she still loves God. The glory of God came. Well, there's one last thing you're created for the glory of God. Yes. The prophet said you're created. And everything in the kingdom gets back to the glory of God. Everything eventually gets back to the glory of God. Everything. You're created for his glory. The proof is Isaiah 43. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You were created for His glory. You may say, I don't want to be created for His glory. Tough. You can rebel against Him, but that doesn't change the fact that He created you for His glory. And then I close with this. Moses went to the tent. And when he did, it was for speaking and hearing the voice of God. That's number three. That's why he went there. When Moses went to the tent, he experienced God's presence but he also, look, he experienced the glory of God, but he also heard the voice of God. Now, maybe you ask, can we still do that? Can we still hear the voice of God? The answer is yes. Yes, if we understand something. Yes, if we understand this is the result of our personal relationship with God. It is the result hearing and speaking with God. Can you do it? You say, well, back then only Moses could go in and speak with God. That's right. Only Moses could then. But you get to live in a fortunate age because Jesus came in. He died on the cross to give you the same kind of access that Moses had to go in before God. And because Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says the veil in the temple was torn in two, opening up access for all of us to go into his presence. Those who know Him have the same access now. Will He speak? Yes. If you go into His presence, yes. He will speak. But you and I have the responsibility to pursue Him. This was a divine friendship. The people knew that Moses and God had a deep fellowship, so they waited to hear. When Moses would go in, And they waited. What's he going to say when he comes out? Because we know that when he goes in, the, the glory of God descends, and the two of them talk. How did it say they spoke in verse 11? Like a friend speaks to a friend. A man speaks to his friend. That's how they conversed. So they knew when he went in, when he came out, he had something for them. it was relational, divine fellowship. We had that. We had that access. Why do we not take more advantage of that? To go and say, I'm going, to, I'm going to sit in the presence of the God of the universe. It was deep fellowship, deep friendship. Do you remember having, I want, don't raise your hand, but do you remember having a, a friendship with someone and it just it just slipped away. You, you have you ever had a friendship like that, and it was a good, strong friendship. You thought, and then just like one day, it was just it wasn't there anymore. It just kind of slipped away. What happened? Well, it may be distance. It may be some kind of disagreement. It may be some kind of disconnection. All of those can be reasons, but a lot of times you know what it is. It's nothing more than neglect. Just neglected the just neglected the relationship. Now, dear friend, listen. If that happens with our uh, flawed and imperfect relationships. Do you know how that can also happen with your relationship with God if you just neglect your, your relationship with God? If, you, if you're here and you sense that the power of God has been lifted and the glory of God has been lifted from your life, could it be that the biggest reason for that is that you have simply neglected your relationship with Him? Speaking and hearing from God is also the result of your personal pursuit of God. We talked about that in in seeking. I'm not going to spend uh, 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 much time there at all, but it is the result of your personal pursuit of God. If you want to hear the voice of God, you must spend time with God. It's simply that plain. You have to spend time with Him. I, there are a lot of ways that people spend time with God. Uh, you know, I, I, you, when you're driving on the circle, you might spend a lot of time with talking to God. Uh, you, may, you may do a, a task around the house or out in the yard and and talk with God. I do. Uh, and, you, and you're talking with, and we're told to to always live in a state of prayer. And that's kind of, that's what that is when you're driving and you're praying or you can take a shower and you can be praying. You, you can be doing yard work and you can be praying. You, you can be doing household chores and you can be praying. You can work at your job and you can be praying. All of those are opportunities for us to, to be connected with. I've heard people say, you know what? I have my time with God every morning in the car on my way to work. Now listen, p- thank God that you're talking with him all the way. But I want to tell you, don't let that become the substitute for really spending time in the presence of God. Frankly, there's just too many distractions, right? There are just too many distractions. You're driving or if you're doing chores or anything else, your mind isn't settled. That's why the tent was out there and not in the camp. It was out there because you had to go out there. You had to get along with God. And the fact is, you and I, Have to get serious about our pursuit of God if we want to hear from God. Instead of rushing through, say, "Okay, God, let's see. I'll talk to you about that. I need to talk about that. Here's that. Here's that. I'll read a little devotional verse, and that nothing wrong with any of that. But listen to me. Don't let that substitute for pursuing God. And there's so many Christians they're not really hearing from God because. God is just a part of the passing of their day. He's just, I'm just kind of weaving him in here along the way. But dear friend, go and sit before God and just say, God, what do you want to say? I told our staff this week, I said, I will never criticize you for going and just saying, I'm gonna go spend some time with God. I said, I'll never tell you, nope, 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 you're not gonna do that. We got things to do, plans to make. By the way, you can't strategize or program the manifestation of the Spirit of God. But if you want to hear from him, you got to pursue him. And you're going to have to set aside time. In your life, you say, I'm just too busy. You're too busy then. You really are too busy. But you're going to have to set aside time, time where you can get with God and you can hear from God and God can speak to you. Notice in this passage calls it the tent of meeting. If the glory of God and His manifest presence has been lifted from your life, have you neglected to meet with God? Hebrews says this, As it is said today, if you hear His voice, Do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Do you know what rebellion they're talking about? They're talking about the the story that, that we've just talked about, where the people had rebelled and they didn't listen to the voice of God. Has the power of God been lifted from your life? Has the glory of God been lifted from your life? Oh, the presence of Him, uh, of the Spirit lives in you, but the glory, the manifestation of Him in your life, is just not there. And you're dry. Why don't you you change that today? And say, God, I'm listening. I take, I surrender, literally, I surrender all. I surrender myself. And, And God, I'm not gonna lay my agenda before you. I'm gonna lay myself before you. As Paul said, present yourself as a living sacrifice to God, which is your reasonable and accepted act of worship. God, here I am. I want your power and presence in my life. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? No one's looking around this place. Lord, Father, I pray that any that are here that said, Lord, I'm just going, I'm, a, I'm a functionary, I'm, I'm a spiritual technician, but the power, uh, the glory has been lifted from my life, and God, I want it back. Would you help them right now, even now, to tell you, God, I, I give myself back to you as a living sacrifice. I want the glory, I want the refreshment of your Holy Spirit to manifest itself through me and in me in all things. For others, God, that are listening to this today that may be uh, live-streamed or in this live audience that have given themselves to religion but never given themselves to Jesus. Oh, God, would you move and cause them to surrender their whole life to you. God, would you help us to seek you with our whole heart. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand quietly in this place? Nobody looking around. As we close, Bradley's going to be singing, and and I'll be down front, and other staff members will be down front. But you know, for some of you, maybe, maybe what you need to do is come and lay at the altar whatever it is, whatever agenda that is keeping God from manifesting himself in your life. Why don't you just come and lay it down before him? Bow before him. And say God, here it is. God, here I am. And I want to give myself fully to you. I want your power. I want the glory of God to be manifested in my life. Maybe you need to come and say I need to give my life to Christ. Our staff will be on the aisles and just come and to one of us and say I need Christ. I need Christ as my savior. Maybe you're here and you you need a place to call your spiritual home and you want to join Ridgecrest. You come and just say, I, I, I know Christ, but I need a family to belong to. We want you here in this place. Maybe you need to be baptized. Whatever it is, you come. You make your commitment. Remember today, if you hear His voice, obey. That's what the Scripture says. We're here to receive you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, you just slip out. Come to the altar right now. You come on right now. Start moving right now. Come on. Before the altar, whatever decision, whatever it is that God may be speaking to you about, if they're to join, whatever, whatever. As Bradley plays and sings, we wait before the Lord.